God, we open our hearts to you so that we might hear, so that we might see, so that we might hear what you're saying to us and see what you put in front of us. Things for us to do, things for us to embrace. It is in your great name that we pray. Amen. And now reading from the gospel according to Luke, chapter 12, beginning in verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. Be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet, so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds alert when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will fasten his belt and have them sit down to eat, and he will come and serve them. If he comes during the middle of the night or near dawn and finds them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. Our text opens with the following phrase, do not be afraid, little flock. This is a, a powerful encouragement from the mouth of Jesus. The imagery of a flock sent my thoughts racing to Psalm 23, which might possibly be the most famous of all the Psalms in Scripture. It opens with the following words, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We oftentimes hear this psalm at funerals and memorial services, and it's meant to bring comfort to those who are grieving a loss of someone that they care deeply about. The imagery of God as our shepherd is striking. What does a good shepherd do? The shepherd leads the sheep where they need to go. Food, water, shelter, and protection from harm. The shepherd metaphor has been deeply meaningful to me in the course of my life, as I'm sure it has been for many of you too. In our late 20s, Dawn, my wife and I, we felt the impact of a ballooning housing market that popped in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Our first home that we purchased in our late 20s lost nearly a third of its value just months before we were contemplating a move, a major life change from Minneapolis, Minnesota to Austin, Texas. With a two-year-old son and a number of unknowns in our lives, we didn't have the resources or the bandwidth to ride out that housing storm and wait for the value of that home to bounce back. We finally sold that home 11 months after we moved to Austin in 2009, and we had to bring cash to closing in order to be, to be free and clear. So after closing, we were as cash-strapped as we had ever been. Serious cash-strapped. When I think about those days, I was like, wow, how on earth did we make it? But we did. 
there was some financial stress. There was anxiety as we headed into my new ministry call as an associate pastor at a church in southwest Austin. Now, as a young adult minister in Minneapolis, I led uh, many of our small groups into a practice called Lectio Divina. In groups, we would focus on one small section of scripture. We would listen intently as one person read the text aloud. And upon hearing the text, we would speak aloud phrases from the text that stood out to each one of us. We would ponder the words spoken, and then another person would read the text aloud again. And again, we would speak aloud those phrases that seemed to be speaking to each one of us. And again, we would reflect silently on these responses. And then once more, the text would be read aloud by another person in the group, and we would silently listen to what the Spirit might be saying to each one of us. And after a period of time, one person would close in prayer. Well, During our years of financial stress, I was hungry for hope, for comfort, for peace, and for rest. I returned to this practice of Lectio Divina, uh, and I did it on my own now this time. For several months, I focused on the scripture, really the opening words of Psalm 23, because that's what I needed to grasp and understand about who God is and about how much God really cares. The phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, became sort of a, a mantra for me. Focusing on those words caused me to, to focus on the character of a loving God who leads me and my family where we need to go and is with us even in the dark valleys of life. For months, every time anxiety would rise in me, I would pray those words. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. This might be a helpful practice for some of you. And I'll tell you, the Psalms are a really great place to start. There's very raw emotion in the Psalms that may be helpful for you as you navigate through difficult periods of life and you need uh, a way to, to let it out. Well, this text from the book of Luke guides us in our ethics in terms of what we do with our wealth. And it helpfully explains why. The text says, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Does Jesus demand that his followers must sell every possession in order to give the proceeds to the poor? I'm going to leave you hanging on that question for a while. <laughs> In order to answer that question, it's important to look at what Jesus said prior to the text that we just read. So in verse 29, before this statement, it says this, And do not keep striving for what you are to eat and what you are to drink, and do not keep worrying. For it is the nations of the world that strive after all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, strive for the kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. See, Jesus' words are recorded here in Luke's telling of the gospel, and Luke emphatically emphasized that God's kingdom included everyone, and that a follower of Christ gives to and cares for the poor. Now, of course, Luke talked about many other things, but these were two giant emphases within the gospel of Luke. 
So when the disciples asked Jesus how they could pray with the same kind of authority that he prayed with, he taught them to pray like this, the prayer we prayed just a moment ago that Gus led us in. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. May your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. It's the prayer that we pray each week. See, while Jesus walked on the face of the earth, he healed people. He raised the dead. He cleansed lepers. He freed people from demons that had plagued them for, for years, that had haunted them. And he miraculously fed the hungry amongst so many other incredible works. And every miraculous deed that Jesus performed was a signpost, pointing people to a reality when all of this would be all the time. He was pointing people to a reality when God's kingdom would be fully present here on earth as it is in heaven, where there'd be no more hunger, no more sickness, no more suffering, no more demons, no more pain, and no more tears. See, when we pray for God's kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven, we are praying for God to lead us into that time and place and for God to empower us to embody the work of God here and now. And that's why we pray this prayer every single week when we gather. It's a reminder about who we are and what we are here to do on this earth. We are empowered by God's love for this world through the person and message of Jesus to feed to clothe, to heal, to comfort, and to serve those who are in need, including each one of us. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What has ultimate meaning for you? What do you value the most? What is your heart's treasure? Can you have material possessions and wealth without being consumed by them? Well, yes, that is possible. And there's so much good that can, that can be done when we utilize and leverage that means for the benefit of everyone, right? We see that in, in our congregation all the time. We see people use their resources to help those at our border, to rebuild homes, to give backpacks uh, to refugees seeking care or seeking a better life here in this country. We, we see so many amazing works being done through the people and through the life of this church, leveraging what God has given them uh, and utilizing it for the benefit of others, to serve everyone. Jesus knew that it is far too easy to cling to what we possess, to our own little kingdoms. And Jesus wanted to help people embrace the kingdom of God. God wants to make the whole world whole. And through Jesus, that project took on a new shape and a new form. And when Jesus talks about heaven... He's talking about that place where God is perfectly present, where everything is whole, everything is complete. And through Jesus Christ, God is leading us and partnering with us to bring heaven here on earth. And this doesn't rest solely on our shoulders. Thanks be to God, right? God is with us. God is helping us. Jesus promised to be with us to the very end of the age. Yet God lets us get a taste of what this is like, what the kingdom is like, so that we can share it with others. When you give of yourself, your time, your treasure, your talents, for the benefit of others, you follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, and your heart becomes more in tune with God's desire for creation. Did you notice the urgency in Jesus' words in our texts? 
He says in verse 35, Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. The Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. Jesus had this sense that his time was coming. He understood what he must do to fulfill his mission as the Messiah. Jesus knew there was a spiritual battle coming between good and evil and that it would have ripple effects throughout all of history. Jesus knew that his followers' loyalties would be tested. He knew that his fellow countrymen would continue uh, to be further and further enticed into greater tensions and, and, and that would lead to eventual, eventual violence with the occupying forces of the Roman Empire that were in Israel. And he saw a violent conflict ahead of them that would decimate Jerusalem and the temple, which would shake Israel's identity to the core, which did eventually happen in 70 CE. The temple was destroyed. Jerusalem was decimated. And the Jewish diaspora spread further and further out of Israel. Jesus must have sensed the coming dangers for his followers that would result in eventual persecution and death for those who would not bow their knee to the empire, but only to Jesus as their one true Lord. Jesus knew that his followers must train themselves to be in a constant state of readiness for the difficulties that would come their way. In 64 CE, Nero, the Roman emperor, <laughs> did some heinous things to Jews, to Christians. He killed, he, he ripped people apart. It, it, was, it was awful. And Jesus must have seen these things coming. And he must have been warning them, be ready. Be ready for what's to come. Know where your loyalties lie. Ready yourselves. Make sure you know what to do. Ready your hearts to know which direction you're going to go when stuff starts to hit the fan. And all of this happened in the first century CE. But is there something relatable for, for us here today in Jesus' imperative to be ready? Is there something specific uh, for our culture and for our time here in Austin, here in Westlake in 2019? Well, in order to get at the heart of a relevant application, I think that we have to determine what it means to seek God's kingdom first. And in order to do that, we need to talk about idols the first two of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 deal with idolatry. And you might be thinking, Kurt, how in the world are idols relevant today? Well, an idol is anything that's more important to you than God. It's anything you seek to give you ultimate meaning in your life apart from God. It's the stuff that we daydream about without prompting. It's the stuff that captures our heart and our imagination. And based on that definition, an idol is usually not something that is inherently bad. In fact, many times it's something that's very good and has incredible value and incredible worth. It's usually something that deserves our attention and our affection, just not our ultimate affection. See, an idol is something that we build our happiness and our worth upon. Things like Family and children, career and making money, achievement, critical acclaim, likability. It could be physical health and appearance, a romantic relationship, having certain skills, security, and comfort. It could be your morality or your virtue, a great political or social cause, or even volunteerism, including at your church. And the list could go on. And let me give you an example. A desire for a happy family and kids can lead to a controlling grip 
on both. That desire for something good can lead to a controlling grip, which can be the very thing which keeps your family and your kids from being happy. And when good things become ultimate things, they self-destruct. They can't handle the weight of ultimate meaning. We all have to be careful about making good things ultimate things. Because when we do, they become idols. And I, I have to be just as careful with all this, including with my job, including with my calling. If I'm not careful, I could allow my work to define my value and my worth, and I could steal God's glory by taking credit for something that God has done. An idol is anything in our lives that causes us to say this, if I have that, then I will feel that my life has meaning. Then I will know that I have value. And then I'll feel significant and secure. See, the idols of traditional societies include family, hard work, duty, and moral virtue. In modern Western cultures, these idols are individual freedom, self-discovery, personal affluence, and fulfillment. None of these things are inherently bad, but when they become the ultimate values in a society, they become idols. And these values promise peace, comfort, safety, and happiness if the people within the society will order their lives around them. But none will bring ultimate meaning. There are other cultural idol idols as well, such as military power and technological progress and economic prosperity. And in the United States in particular, we're dealing right now with this kind of idol of protectionism, of keeping things to ourselves. And we have to be careful about what we do. We have to be careful about what identity we align ourselves with. Which values, which things, which, what's most important to us? Is it the values of the kingdom that includes everyone? Or is it the values of one group? We have to be careful. We have to guard our hearts. We have to watch against idolatry. You might be thinking, well, thanks, Kurt. You pointed out all the ways that we can make good things into idols. That's great. You've just made us feel wonderful today. <laughs> I know. This text, as I was reading this text this week, I tried to read it in like 20 different translations because it's like, oh, this is, you know, you guys know me. I like to be happy. I like to smile. <laughs> But you read this text and it's not like, you know, you can't really spin this, okay? It is what it is. So I, 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 I'm putting it out here and we're just going to deal with it, okay? And by the way, I'm almost done. If you're like, <laughs> and you're like, thank God that <laughs> this thing's almost done. <laughs> uh, so, so what do we do? If, if here's all the stuff that can turn into idols, what's the constructive step? What do we do? How do we step forward? And I think that's the thing that we're all craving for, right? We can all point to all the things that are going wrong in our lives, in our society, but we want something instructive. We want a step that we can take forward. And I'm glad that you asked the question. Thank you. <clears throat> See, when we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, we ready ourselves to act by preparing our hearts to seek God's kingdom first to align ourselves with the values of God's kingdom over and above any earthly kingdom, including the one that we live in right now. And of course, we need to take care of ourselves 
and we need to take care of our families. Yet self-interest and self-preservation can't be our only goals. It's got to be bigger than that. So I want to close the message today by praying the Lord's Prayer together again as, a, as an application step, something that we can do together, something constructive. And I want to encourage you to do something. Pray this prayer every day. You know, we, we pray when we come together on Sundays. Maybe you pray together as a family. Maybe you pray together on your own. Maybe you're in the car and you want to just yell at the person next to you. <laughs> pray the Lord's Prayer instead. <laughs> Embrace the values of the kingdom. Maybe when you're at work and somebody takes credit for something that you did and you want to send them a really nice email, <laughs> pray the Lord's Prayer. See what happens, you know? <laughs> so can we do that together? Can we close this message today by praying the Lord's Prayer together? And may, may this be a, a step, an active step in the right direction to place our value and our worth in God's kingdom over and above our own little earthly kingdoms, over and above the kingdoms in which we live on this earth, in our own country. May we put God's kingdom first. So let's play, pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Thanks for dealing with that with me. <laughs> Appreciate that. <laughs> well, as we prepare our